Hi folks, Neil here. We want to help answer all your questions about London. That's why you can listen to this guide in the Circa app for iPhone and get all the show notes, pictures, maps, and links you need to find everything we tell you about in this London guide. Best of all, in the Circa app, you can message a Circa concierge. You can get any question about London answered by real people right here. The latest galleries, West End shows, how to do the big attractions right, how to use the tube, where to find an absolutely beautiful Sunday roast right now. We are giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, no AI ever. And for a limited time, it's completely free. The Circa Travel app is available in the App Store right now or at circatravel.com. Hi everyone, my name's Neil Innes. I'm one of the folks at Circa in charge of all of the amazing travel guides we're launching this summer. And I also host the Circa Guide to Barcelona from this beautiful city on the Mediterranean. We'd like to invite you to download the Circa app for iOS for free. It's out right now in the App Store. Inside the Circa app, you'll find maps and info on all the places we recommend, plus bonus episodes and early access to all of the other guides. Go to circatravel.com or click the link in the notes. Right now, you'll be able to listen to Circa Guide episodes about London, Barcelona, Los Angeles, Rome, and Iceland. And coming soon, Paris, Mexico City, Hawaii, Costa Rica, and more. Once more, that's circatravel.com, spelled C-E-R-C-A travel.com. I'll see you there. Welcome to Circa. In this episode, we'll be talking about all the reasons to go outside while in London. Whatever way you love to explore or relax, there's a green space to suit everyone in this capital city. And as always, there'll be maps, notes, and info on the places mentioned in the Circa app. So sit back, put your headphones on, and let me tell you about the world's first official urban national park. This is London, outdoors. Circa. Love the world you live in, and we'll help you explore it. London is crazy. It's loud, fast, enveloping, brutal, wild, magical, full of chaos, but also packed with opportunities for pleasure and escapism. In so many ways, London promises you a really incredible time. London is actually a large forest, according to the UN. Over 21% of it is covered by trees. And in 2019, it was declared the first national park city on the planet. I'm Jennifer Carr. I'm a London girl at heart. I've swam, danced, rode, picnicked, partied, slept, ran, meditated, and on one occasion been locked in one of the city's many gloriously green and wild spaces. Hopefully, you'll get to do all this and more. Okay, maybe not with getting trapped in part. 
there's a world of top picks and hidden spots to chill out in here. So forget the concrete and cityscapes. This episode is a celebration of London's great outdoors. But first, the story of Green London. From private spaces to public pleasure gardens. Today, exploring London's 3,000 green open spaces and parks is easy and open to everybody. This collective mass of nature is a vital fixture in the city's fight towards ambitious goals for carbon reduction. And London is on track to become one of the greenest cities in all of Europe. But it definitely wasn't always this utopic. Back in the day, around the time of King Henry VIII and later Queen Elizabeth I, ruling nobles and monarchs were less concerned with public and environmental well-being and more about raking in riches at the height of the British Empire. Land was mostly owned and enjoyed privately by the monarchy or aristocratic families. But today, the city has eight enormous royal parks. A legacy. But back then, they were private hunting grounds, full of deer and grouse, right up until the 19th century. Green spaces were the ultimate symbol of power and status, a place for the wealthy to retreat from the disease, dirt and pollution of a densely populated, industrialised London. In the 1600s, London's first and largest grassy public square, Lincoln's Inn Fields, was laid out as one of the many spaces that contributed to the development of the city. It was originally, like the others, only for wealthy private aristocrats and local residents. And it was also the site of the beheading of Lord William Russell for the attempted assassination of King Charles II. The executioner in Russell's beheading was so inept that it took four swings of the axe to completely separate his head. Despite the occasional execution, Lincoln's Inn Fields was part of fashionable London at the time. In the 1830s and 40s, massive cholera outbreaks and increasing pollution meant that city dwellers were urged to hit the parks and the public gardens as part of a massive public health campaign. In 1895, Lincoln's Inn Fields opened to the public. A pioneering moment that helped pave the way for other fabulous city spaces to follow suit. It has since helped to protect and limit London's public squares as ornamental pleasure grounds or grounds for play, rest and recreation. In other words, limiting development or new builds in or around these little green pockets. Lincoln's Inn Fields is found in Holborn, right in the city centre. The square is flanked by the Royal Opera House, the Royal Courts of Justice, worth a free peek for the Victorian Gothic architecture alone and the John Soane Museum. This last one is especially worth a visit to nosy around the famed, late neoclassical British architect's home turned museum. If you can, book ahead for the Soane Lates programme. You'll have the museum almost to yourself, lit by spotlight, with pop-up talks from guides and wines served in the southern drawing room. Tickets are £25. Other public garden squares like Soho Square in Soho and Russell Square in Bloomsbury are a massive part of Londoners' lives. They've been designed to be lived in, relaxed in, and escape into when the city's pace and pollution can become a bit much. 
they're also haven for wildlife. There's about 600 garden squares across the capital, and they're a good substitute for the fact that most Londoners don't actually have a garden. I'm not exaggerating when I say that London's parks are knitted into the fabric of city life. We gather, we picnic, we run, date, train, swim, study, birdwatch, meditate, sleep, dance, fight, party, worship in them. Yes, even in the rain. The Royal Parks. Let's kick off with the true stars on London's green stage, the city's eight royal parks. They're free, they're open year-round, and they collectively cover over 2,000 hectares of spectacular sculpted spaces filled with shrubs, lakes, flora, fauna, and rich wildlife. Most have historic links to England's notorious King Henry VIII, who dissolved many monasteries and convents on these lands to fund his military campaigns or to create space for extravagant hunts. The royal parks have gone through many facelifts, from the private grandeur of the 1700s to their use as public vegetable plots during World War II. Let's start with the first royal park on our list, Hyde Park. The largest of the eight royal parks, it spans 142 hectares across the borough of Westminster in the city centre. It's been a hotspot for political protests, rallies, marches, and world-class musical extravaganzas. Everyone from Pink Floyd to Pavarotti has performed here. Then there's Speaker's Corner on the northeast edge. Since the 1800s, this has been a site for free speech and debate by the people for the people. Speakers can talk about anything that got them fired up, as long as the police consider it lawful. Historic figures like Karl Marx, Vladimir Lenin and George Orwell have all come here in the past for a rant. Go on a Sunday, chances are someone will be on their soapbox about something. If you're entering the park from Hyde Park Corner, pay close attention to the flower bed planting. It's been designed so that the flowers are shaped to resemble a giant horn, announcing your special honorary attendance. How regal is that? For something a bit more zen, head to the lookout, a treehouse-style, eco-friendly wooden building hidden within an acre of enclosed grounds inside the park. Dive into a changing schedule of everything from yoga to mindfulness, or take a courageous morning dip between May and September in the park's huge serpentine lake. It's home to the UK's oldest swimming club, and it's a fine reset for the fatigued or the hungover. No, it's not heated. Revive in the waterside serpentine cafe afterwards with some French toast or a herby sausage breakfast bap. That's a soft bread roll for the uninitiated. They also call it a batch, a cob, a balm, or a bridey, depending on who you ask. The second park, Kensington Gardens, was once part of Hyde Park, but today it's set apart and only open during daylight hours. Kensington Palace is nestled tightly amongst the garden's 107 hectares, a royal residence since the 17th century, 
and currently home to young royals, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, aka William and Kate. Parts of the palace are open to the public and it's open all year round except for a few days over Christmas. Book ahead to secure your time slot. It gets busy. Entry is £19.50 for adults, but kids under five go free. For water lovers, don't miss the peaceful Italian gardens, located on the north side of Kensington Gardens near Lancaster Gate. It's a 150-year-old ornamental water garden, apparently a gift from Prince Albert to his beloved Queen Victoria. Look out for the initials V and A on one of the walls of the pump house just north of the gardens. On to our third park. It's close to Buckingham Palace and much smaller than the other royal parks. Interestingly, it also contains zero flower beds. The rumour goes that King Charles's second wife, Queen Catherine of Braganza, had all the flowers removed when she found her husband picking some for a milkmaid. It quickly became the Green Park, minus the flirty flowers. What it lacks in flora, though, it makes up for in ancient monuments, memorials and royal gun salutes. These mark special occasions like state visits or the Queen's birthday each June. Salutes are usually fired at noon and consist of 41 rounds, the traditional 21 rounds plus an extra 20 because of the park's royal status. For something easier on the ears, there's a decent programme of free ecological talks and self-guided walks to embark on. And if you're here during October, you might be lucky enough to catch the Dead After Dark guided walk. It's a ghostly storytelling evening stroll through the Queen's Gardens between Green Park and its neighbour, St James's Park, which is the fourth on our list of Royal Green Spaces. You can access St James's Park directly via the Queen's Gardens. And believe me, it's a 23-hectare expanse that shouldn't be skipped. Take a slow walk down the mall inside St James's Park. It's the one-kilometre grand red carpet road leading from Admiralty Arch to Buckingham Palace and a familiar stretch for royal ceremonies and national celebrations. It was deliberately dyed red using iron oxide pigment to create the effect of a giant red carpet. Every year, thousands of runners begin the London Royal Park's half marathon from this famous length of tarmac, which was originally built in honour of Queen Victoria. Every June, the Trooping the Colour Parade takes place for the Queen's birthday here, the Horses Guards Parade, the name for the ceremonial parade ground in St James's Park. The colour is actually the battalion flag that is trooped or carried slowly down the ranks of soldiers. It's said that this happened so that every soldier was familiar with his battalion's flag. The ceremony finishes with the Queen personally leading the troops down the mall back to Buckingham Palace. At this point, you could head north to Regent's Park, the fifth park and arguably my favourite of the lot. Regent's Park merges into the Grade 2 listed Primrose Hill Park between the boundaries of the Borough of Camden and the Borough of Westminster. Oh, by the way, Grade 2, listed, basically means a structure or space of special interest, and there's plenty of them to be enjoyed in a city this old. A Grade 1 listed building is even more special. It's considered a site of exceptional national, architectural or historical importance, 
and it's usually a lot rarer to find than a grade two. Anyway, Primrose Hill is a must for views of London's skyline at sunset, and you'll be rewarded after a steep stomp up the hill with some of North London's coziest gastropubs. Sold? Let's go. If I had to score the eight royal parks for eye candy, Regent's Park turns my head the most. It's the perfect blend of wide open spaces, elegant ornate fountains, London's largest open air auditorium, the world's oldest scientific zoo, and the award-winning Regent's Park Theatre. Come here for knockout alfresco theatre and comedy. The programme runs May through to September. If you're visiting in October though, try to catch the Freeze Festival. It's one of the world's largest contemporary art exhibitions, and it takes place right here in the park. Tickets sell out fast, so grab some via the link in the notes. While you're here, go full sensory overload with a walk through the Queen Mary's Rose Gardens. Named after the wife of King George V, it's the largest concentration of roses in London. To see and smell the blooms at their best come during the first two weeks of June. Now, let's stretch our legs and work up an appetite on Primrose Hill, which sits immediately north of Regent's Park. At a thigh-aching 210 feet high, it promises one of London's best skyline views. It's also a predictable place to spot celebrities. But back in the day, the hill was a retreat for authors and poets instead, including Sylvia Plath and Charles Dickens. Kite flying is a common sight here, as are couples cozying up over a bottle of wine and some cheese from Delhi, Melrose and Morgan, close by. You'll find it on Gloucester Road, a five-minute jaunt down the hill towards Camden. The range of Brit produce in this deli is amazing. But if you fancy something heartier to eat, Limonia on Regent's Park Road, also a two-minute saunter down the hill, is a local institution, and it feels like you jumped in a TARDIS and got spat out on a tiny Greek island. Expect fat handmade dolomades, carafes of crisp white wine, velvety lamb shank, and a loud, smiley staff straight from the med. I also can't leave this part of town without giving a shout out to the Princess of Wales tucked on the edge of the park. Great service and belt loosening portions of gastro grub. Try their spicy holy chicken wings with blue cheese sauce for £7.50. Sorry, it's what they're called. Best green spaces for um and going slow. London isn't a place that does things by halves. Healthy pursuits get served up just as generously as large slices of hedonism, which is good news if you're in the capital and want to work out al fresco or get your sport on London style. There's many options for all ages and abilities. Hampstead Heath, also in the north and only a 30 minute walk from Primrose Hill, is one of my favorite places to get lost in the city. The Heath can be found in the record books as far back as the year 986 changing hands among various royalty and land barons and the Abbey of Westminster for over 800 years. It's a wild tangle of bushes and forests, open water swimming ponds, ancient woodlands, running trails, and a public lido that's open 365 days a year, all nestling on one of the city's highest sandy ridges spanning from Hampstead to Highgate. 
Predictably epic views of London's skyline are guaranteed. Spot the BT Tower, the London Eye, the Shard, the Gherkin, Tower 42. Taking up a respectable 320 hectares, this mysterious expanse of wild woods and ponds is one of the locations and inspirations for scenes from Bram Stoker's Dracula and the amazing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's also ground zero for countless ghost stories, including the silhouette of a horseman who's been seen galloping across the heath after dark. The heath's been a source of fantasia and horror for some of London's greatest poets, writers and painters since the 1800s. People still flock here for that same escapism and terror, if that's your thing. Speaking of horror, Abney Park Cemetery in Stoke Newington is a lovely, creepy spot for contemplation and silence. Funny that. One of London's magnificent seven cemetery parks, this one's a real cracker with just the right amount of eeriness to keep you on your toes. This eeriness has been felt since the early 1800s, when London's rapid population growth proved too much for inner-city burial grounds, which were literally overflowing. So the UK Parliament passed a bill in 1832 to encourage the development of new private cemeteries. Within 10 years, seven had popped up, including Abney Park. But in the 70s, the cemetery went into administration and the park got overgrown and neglected. Then, the borough of Hackney took it over in the 80s on the premise that they maintain its urban wildness. Something you'll definitely feel in this nature reserve at dusk. There's 200,000 permanent residents here. If you uh, know what I mean. Swimming in London's green spaces. For something lighter, pack your swimsuit for a dip in Hampstead Ponds. Nestling in the wilds of Hampstead Heath, there's 30 different bodies of water here that cover 17.3 hectares and meander in different shapes and sizes. Only three of the ponds are officially open to swimmers, one for ladies, one for guys, and one for mixed groups. The men's and ladies' ponds are open year-round, but to use the mixed pond in the winter, you need to join the Hampstead Heath Winter Swimming Club. It's a bit muddy getting in, and you can expect ducks and geese and probably a fish or two nibbling your toes. But floating under a canopy of trees with the sun on your skin, it's easy to forget you're in the middle of London. It's glorious. But if the idea of getting tangled up in pondweed doesn't float your boat, London's Lido culture will. Let's head to my old neighbourhood, the uber-hip London Fields. This hood now rubs shoulders with the booming hipster enclave of Shoreditch. Besides wildflower meadows and the excellent and quite hidden London Fields Brewery, there's also an Olympic-sized Lido that's open year-round. And drumroll, it's heated. Come here early on winter mornings for a peaceful dip, before 9am when it starts to get busy. South of the river is Brockwell Park in Herne Hill. The park's home to an iconic 50-metre Lido, a public swimming pool, which opened in July 1937, closed in 1990 and then reopened in 99 after locals campaigned to keep it alive. 
Two ex-council employees took on the job of running it for the community and turned it into a beloved local landmark. This Lido has really been through it. There's also BMX bike trails, cricket, basketball and tennis courts. You can rent the latter for £13 an hour and enjoy an incredible view of London's skyline. While you're in Hernhill, you should check out the Hernhill Velodrome. It's one of the oldest cycling tracks in the world. It was built in 1891 and is still going strong for cyclists today. Since we're south side, let's jump on the London overland to Battersea. Maybe you've heard of London's Battersea Power Station. It's a gargantuan, multi-billion and slightly controversial project that's had the whole city holding its breath since 2013. The Grade 2 listed Victorian Battersea Park sits snugly alongside it, on the south of the River Thames, opposite Chelsea. It occupies an area of the riverbank nearly three quarters of a mile long, and there's plenty to shout about here for sports lovers. Take a little time out on the Park Lake, where you can hire pedalos or rowing boats for £15 an hour. The park also features one of London's best running paths, lace up for 39 kilometre trail loop that takes you along a good southern stretch of the Thames or rent bikes and take the 1.8-mile-long carriage drive route that encircles the park. Keep your eyes peeled for the park's Buddhist peace pagoda overlooking the river. We Brits love a bit of pretend golf as well, so book ahead for the park's 12-hole pitch-and-putt course, then head to the delightful Pear Tree Cafe for a gourmet refuel. Now we've topped up on calories, where's the best spot for something adrenaline fueled? How about a session of power kiting in Richmond Park, the largest of London's eight royal parks? And this will be the sixth one we've covered today. Yep, it's a stunner. Across Richmond Park's impressive 1,011 hectares of protected conservation space is the UK's highest concentration of rare insects, fungi, rare stag beetles, birds, bats and wildflowers. Keep that in mind when you're speeding through tall grasses on your power kite. Power kite, by the way, is a big kite attached to a land buggy or a land board that pulls you along at speed. Adrenaline junkies will love it. Book a session for about £40 with Kite Vibe. Oh, and watch out for the park's 650 resident fallow or wild deer. They've been roaming here since 1637, when Charles I established the park especially for them. A good way to see them is at the Kingston Gate entrance. Just follow the Tamsin Trail inside. This lovely trail around the park is two to three hours long, depending on how many ice cream vans get the better of you on the way. For horse lovers, there's a handful of local stables that organise group hacks through the park's woodlands and meadows. You can also rent bikes from Park Cycle and get lost on your own terms. OK, let's slow gears for a moment and head north on the Victoria Line to Clissold Park. Bliss out here with weekly Qigong and Tai Chi classes every Saturday at 10am on the north side of the park opposite the pond. It's £15, book online in advance. Over in neighbouring Finsbury Park, there's outdoor yoga classes for stressed-out city dwellers looking for some alfresco flow. To balance out all that zen, head to the popular Clissold Park Tavern and recline in the pub's luscious beer garden. 
order a locally made IPA, a wood-fired pizza, and recline amongst the bees and insects for a little slice of calm in Bohemian Stoke Newington. Or Stokey, as the locals know it. By the way, the Wednesday evening pub quizzes here are the stuff of legend. Take your well-being up a notch and head west to Holland Park. The central line's good if you're short on time. This part of town nestles just south of Notting Hill and is home to many an A-lister. Less predictably, and probably more satisfying than celeb spotting, is the oh-so-lovely lush waterfall in Holland Park's Kyoto Garden. The garden was a gift from the Japanese to the Brits to commemorate their friendship back in 91. Ornamental sculptures, tranquil-tiered waterfalls and a serene pond of koi carp all helped to keep the blood pressure of local millionaires in check. You might even spot a peacock, or in my case, Rolling Stones guitarist, Ronnie Wood. He was walking his dog here on my last visit. Hi, everyone. Circa is recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. London's Party Parks. Feeling chilled and virtuous? Good. It's about time for a retox. As much as London's parks and gardens are great for pressing the pause button, they're also great for a knees up. Buckle up. Let's go party. Victoria Park, the UK's first official public park, is ground zero for some of London's best festivals. Historically, the park stands out for grassroots activism, May Day rallies and drills of the People's Army took place here in the early 1900s. It was formed by famous suffragette Sylvia Pankhurst and Nora Smith, who'd often used Victoria Park for political protests and processions against police brutality. In the 70s, the Rock Against Racism gig cemented the park's political credentials. It's a park for the masses and for the music. It's stayed that way ever since. Come here for the All Points East Festival, a multi-genre, two-weekend running summer music festival that doesn't disappoint. If you're here in the city during August and fancy a day rave with a little bit of hip-hop on the side in Vicky Park, bag yourself a ticket to field day. The genre-pushing lineup attracts a diverse crowd from all over. We'll link you in the notes. Another August bank holiday belter is waiting for you southside in one of London's top open spaces, Clapham Common. This common is one of London's oldest public spaces. It was originally common land for the manors of Battersea and Clapham, which basically means that commoners, tenants of the lords of the manors, could graze livestock, collect firewood, 
or dig for clay and other valuable resources here. Today, its 85 grassy hectares remain one of South London's most cherished common spaces and a must for runners, ramblers, and in our case, revellers. If you fall into the latter category and are here over the last week of August during the bank holiday, get yourself down to Clapham Common's Southwest Four Festival. From electronic dance music, house and techno, to grime, garage and drum and bass, there's something for everyone, all outside, in a park. Further south of Clapham, Crystal Palace Park, there's also plenty of music and mayhem to be had in the Crystal Palace Bowl. Bob Marley and the Wailers played a concert in this lovely leafy space as part of the legendary 1980 Uprising tour. As the story goes, loads of people climbed into the trees to watch the gig. A tree limb broke from all the weight and movement, depositing revellers into the pond where they kept on dancing as a bemused Bob looked on. Keep your eyes peeled for the blue plaque in the park close to the stage, commemorating the Rasta King. Besides Crystal Park Bowl's mega musical affairs, there's also free summer sundown music sessions to enjoy with top DJs, local orchestras and outdoor cinema. Bring a picnic blanket and take the London Overland here with an exit at Crystal Park Station. Oh, a note on British bank holidays. Brits and particularly Londoners really appreciate their days of rest or revelry. Bank holidays were birthed by a historic banker and a politician called Sir John Lubbock, who introduced the Bank Holiday Act in 1871 as official public holidays in addition to the UK's common law holidays, like Christmas Day or Easter Monday. Today, there's eight, and trust me, we make every single one of them count, especially the August one, when revellers wanting to milk every last inch of summer come out to play. By the way, bank holidays aren't a biggie in London because everything generally stays open, but they're nearly always more crowded, so be prepared to wrestle for that deck chair. The best park pubs. It's impossible to talk about London's finest green spaces without talking about the best spots to quench your thirst. I mean, what's it all for if not to spend hours walking through forest trails, exploring ancient tropical greenhouses, dorking out on historic monuments, or rowing boats across a lake if you can't wash it all down with an icy cold pint and some gourmet grub? Greenwich Park in London's southeast is the seventh royal park we'll hit in this episode, and the first to be enclosed. It spans 74 hectares, is part of the Greenwich World Heritage Site, and the views here of London's skyline are wondrous. It's also home to some epic pubs, a lovely antiques market, and perhaps the creme de la creme, the Greenwich Observatory. This is where time is measured in GMT, that's Greenwich Mean Time. This mean time is calculated using the sun. When the sun's at its highest point, exactly above the prime meridian, it's 12 noon in Greenwich. The prime meridian is the imaginary line that splits the Earth up into two equal halves, the Western Hemisphere and the Eastern Hemisphere. 
So basically, I'm about to show you the best pub to celebrate that you're at the centre of the earth. Drum roll, please, for the plume of feathers. The oldest maritime pub in Greenwich that dates back to 1691. There's a cosy beer garden and sweeping views across the park and its famous observatory. Just in case you lose track of time after all those beers. Another south of the River Star is the White Cross in Richmond, which scores big brownie points for its idyllic river location, delicious British pub food, and novelty value at high tide. Part of the beer garden gets submerged, and so will your legs. Mostly the locals don't care, they just roll up their trousers and get on with it. Down the road, the 17th century White Swan in neighbouring Twickenham, of cricketing fame, is another au natural southwest London beer garden located right on the water. It's perfect for watching gaggles of geese or London's top rowing teams glide past. Just like the White Cross, everyone who works here knows what it's like to wade through the water with a few glasses or plates in hand. Crossing over the Thames, there's no shortage of green open spaces for a parkside pint. Start at Pub on the Park in London Fields in Hackney. Go for the open mic nights upstairs or the Patank area, quite literally at the edge of the pub's beer garden in the park. Another great choice on Victoria Park's northern eastern fringes is the People's Park Tavern. Named after the park's democratic history, this on-site brewery park also has a sprawling interior beer garden, a pop-up cocktail bar, a barbecue kitchen, and decent live blues served with its fabulous roasts every Sunday. A pub from my kind of people. Slightly more north is the iconic Spaniards Inn in Hampstead. Here you'll find a 16th century institution beloved by British poets, artists and creatives during the 19th century. Romantic poet John Keats apparently enjoyed an ale or two in the inn's gardens. Close by in Highgate is The Flask, a grade two listed public house with a really spooky history. It's been here since 1663 and still has two 17th century horse boxes in place. Allegedly, it's haunted by more than one ex-patron you might run into the ghost of a Spanish barmaid who hung herself in the pub cellar, which is now a seating area. And locals have also reported seeing a man crossing the main bar area, then vanishing into a pillar. If feeling freaked out as the pub hop appeals to you, there's a good haunted London pub walk linked in the notes. London's backwaters and canals. London's extensive waterways and canals came about in the 1700s to transport coal from the UK's mining regions. Today, over 10,000 Londoners choose to live on barges and boats, in part because of the city's obscene housing costs, but also as an alternative to the pace of London. Down on the canal towpaths, life is slinkier. The series of canals that crisscross through the city are wonderful places to slow down and glide through your day. Linear, leafy, watery parks in their own right. They all attract walkers, runners, and of course, people seeking a pint. Let's go to the Union Tavern in Westbourne Park. 
Here, a sunny West London canal side garden and craft beer tastings break up the journey alongside the city's Regent's Canal. This is London's biggest man-made canal and a relative latecomer in the history of the city's industrialised waterways. It provides a link between the Paddington Arm of the Grand Union Canal in the west of the city down to the Limehouse Basin in the east of the River Thames. It shut when electricity and motor vehicles became more popular than barges for transportation. In the last few centuries, the city has shown a rekindled love for this tranquil waterway. Today, there's no shortage of pop-up eateries, bike shops, bars and chill-out spots, and sure, a fair few swanky private developments and penthouses. Even so, it's still on the right side of low-key and a lush way to enjoy this private, serene side of the city. Fancy a leisurely stroll from west to east? Let's head to Little Venice, an attractive neighbourhood that sits right on the Paddington Arm of the Grand Union Canal. Here, you'll find lots of brightly painted narrowboats, tree-lined paths and houses dating from the Regency period. A gentle nine-mile meander begins here. And if that sounds a bit too long, you can also rent bikes or catch the water bus barge. There's an hourly summer service between Paddington in the west and Camden Lock in the north. You can also speed things up on your own terms and hire your own speedboat from Go Boat, which can be hired from Merchant Square. No license is required and each boat can hold up to eight people, with prices starting from £79 per boat for the first hour. If you've got enough time though, I still say walk it. A quick heads up before you get going. The canal path does stop and start a few times, so you'll need to climb up a couple of sets of stairs, cross over a road or two, and then descend some steps back down onto the path. But it's well signposted, so getting back onto the canal path is pretty easy. We'll start walking from the towpath entrance on Little Venice's Delamere Terrace, where there's also several signs for water taxis. I'd say that this first stretch of the canal is London at its prettiest, all cute waterside cafes, rainbow-coloured boats chugging past, and weeping willows dipping into the water. You kind of forget you're in one of the busiest cities in the world. After about 30 minutes of walking, and after you've cruised past the world-famous Lord's Cricket Ground on your left, you'll be coming up towards Regent's Park and its world-famous zoo. As you start on the canal section beside Regent's Park, Expect to see some seriously swanky houses and white stucco mansions with marble columns and landscape lawns that roll all the way down to the edge of the water you're walking along. A bit further along, you may well hear some of the cacophony of feeding time at Regent's Park Zoo. Some of the animal enclosures literally back onto the canal. Listen out for the hyenas and their cackles. You'll hear them before they see you. We're now just about at the remains of the Cumberland Basin, just before Camden Lock. At this point, traffic, by that I mean barges, bikes, feet, prams, all sorts, will likely get a little bit busier, as will the hairstyles of the punks and goths that hang out here. Step off the canal for a caffeine hit while you gongoozle. That's Urban Dictionary speak for barge watching. I rate Guy Gold Coffee Bar on Jamestown Road. This beautiful corner building from the 1800s is today an on-point coffee shop featuring exotic loose-leaf teas, A-grade coffee from East London Roasters Clipson & Sons and delicate pastries. It's only open in the mornings, though. Get back on the path for another 40 minutes or so until you hit King's Cross, 
I love this spot on the walk, an easy and recently restored blend of old heritage buildings, dog walkers, natural wildlife, and barge owners selling secondhand books. Check out The Word on the Water, a floating bookstore for lovely hardbacks, and there's nearly always a barge selling decent floating vinyl for crate diggers. There's pop-up coffee stalls too for runners needing a caffeine boost, or the notorious Boston Bell Cafe, an enchanting floating cafe with dozens of teas, fresh Italian cakes, and coffee made old school in a mocha pot. On a sunny day, there's no more chill place to be. A half hour saunter more and you'll reach Angel and Islington, also home to the City Road Basin, which was filled in 1942 with debris from the devastation of the World War II Blitz. We've made a whole episode on the Blitz. You can find it within this London guide. There's also the Islington Boat Club and many keen stand-up paddlers gliding down this section of the canal. Join them if you fancy via the friendly guys at Active360. A little further down the path is De Beauvoir Town, and here you'll find one of my personal faves. This part of London sits at the crossroads between the Victorian poshness of King's Cross and Islington's lo-fi 60s council blocks. Stay on the path, but if you spot a table opening up at Towpath, seize it. Yes, this is my hush-hush pick for canal side eats. Devour fresh seasonal plates of hand-smoked mackerel, omelette, asparagus or crispy lamb, served up al fresco on candlelit tables beside a graffiti-smattered canal. Punchy cocktails are a given. You can't book ahead though, so be prepared to loiter. Further down the path than we're now officially in London's fashionable East End and London Fields, also home to the achingly cool Broadway market. We've officially hit Hipster Central, folks. Take a stroll through this working Victorian street market to witness a marvellous melting pot of cultures, communities and cuisines. Devour some of the market's delicious international street food or grab a Belgian beer and just people watch outside the Dove, a local institution. Fueled up and feeling good? Keep walking for another 30-minute clip past Victoria Park and onwards into Mile End, East London's E3 postcode and the Limehouse Basin that leads into the River Thames. The Mile End Public Park, created on land that was bombed out after World War II, is separated from Victoria Park by the Hartford Union Canal, and it's a surprising spot for crazy amounts of biodiversity. There's meadows and woodland, birds, butterflies, bees, and some 400 species of beetle. There's also a lovely art pavilion with free exhibitions to dip into. Finally, we've now reached the Limehouse Basin, which offers a navigable link for boats between the Regent's Canal and the River Thames. It also connects 2,000 miles of British waterways along the Limehouse Cut, which is actually the oldest canal in London. You might recognise it from a certain Mission Impossible film sequence. Reward yourself with a pint and some views and much-loved Brit actor Sir Ian McKellen's charming 500-year-old riverside pub, The Grapes. It survived extreme bombings in the Second World War and was formerly a working-class tavern for the dockers in the basin. Pull up a stool and watch as the city's waterways do what they do best. You've just had a truly authentic London day. Because that's the thing about London. 
It's bustling, boisterous at times, and seems to evolve at breakneck speed. But it's also got a softer side. The immense outdoor spaces and waterways offer a slower, gentler way to absorb the city. And in this eight million strong, giant forest, there's so many secrets and adventures waiting to be found. Now, it's up to you to go and find them. Thanks for listening to our London Outdoors episode. Don't forget to check the notes for all those open-air links and parkside events we told you about. No matter when you're heading to London, you'll get instant access to the full guide plus new episodes on a regular basis when you subscribe to Circa. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or download the Circa app, where you can also get pictures and maps and notes on the places in this episode and more. Maybe you'll want to sample our guides for Rome, 